Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket, a podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it for free at logrocket.com today. Joined with us is Simon Holthausen. Simon is a core dev over at Svelte, and we're going to be talking about Svelte Kit and the recent updates coming from 4 to 5. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. It's great to have you. Thank you. So, Simon, people might know of you because you're very influential in the Svelte community. Really unique GitHub handle. dum de dum <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, right. That's what we call it. How'd you come up with that handle? <laughs> yeah, so my first handle, which I picked when I was in puberty, and I thought that the handle back then was Hitman Faker. I thought it was cool back then, and then I got out of puberty, and I thought, okay, that's not so cool anymore. <laughs> and so I, I was in uh, search of an, a different handle. And then I was like humming along while thinking of something like da da dum da dum da dum, and then I thought, hey, why not use dum de dum dum de dum? And then like this became the handle. So <laughs> rolls off the tongue. It's unique. When you see, it, you're like, oh, that's that's fun. Yeah. Sometimes the GitHub handles are a bit confusing, so it definitely stood out. But yeah, so Simon, you've been in the Svelte community for quite a while now. How many years has it been since you really first started to get enamored the ecosystem? I think it's a bit over three years by now. Man, time flies. I first got in contact with it, my previous company, where they do a yearly hackathon. And I tried out Svelte for the front-end part of the hackathon project. And I immediately fell in love with it. But I also knew that I couldn't use it at work because we mainly did Angular, etc. there. So I thought, okay, how else can I stay in contact with it? So I started contributing to it first to the uh, IDE extension, like this code extension, etc., which was a bit rough at the time. And so I started contributing to that. And then at the start of last year, then like when I was part of the maintainer team for a while already, Rich, who then had joined the cell uh, since a few months, said that the cell wanted to hire one more person to work on Svelte full-time. And so I thought, why not give it a shot in July last year, I then joined the cell, and since then I'm working on Svelte full time. So you've been in the ecosystem now, like you said, for three years, and we're at an exciting time coming from four to five. And we're going to get into a few details about this, such as custom elements and the images and stuff like this. But do you think that this is a big paradigm shift time in this version shift that's coming out right now. Is it a major? Is it a minor for people that are just trying to figure out what's going on with Svelte news? Yeah. So Svelte 3 has been out more than four years now. I don't know, (laughs) hundreds of years in JS framework times. (laughs) The cracks show under the hood, so to speak. So uh, we just have some things we would like to get rid of and move on to newer node versions so we can use things that were added in those. This is like the main focus on, for Svelte 4, that we, so to speak, clean the deck. And like the main work happens there under the hood. So I'd say that Svelte 4 is mostly a maintenance release, bumping like the minimum required node version, which will be node 16. If you're using TypeScript, then the minimum required TypeScript version will be 5. Though it may work with older versions, but no guarantees. And we will remove the common JS compiler output because no one's using that anymore with 
bundlers like Veed and so on, which understand ESM and etc. That's no longer needed. So basically maintenance stuff like this. And besides that, we also want to add some goodies, so to speak. One of the things you touched on is the improved custom and elements support. So Svelte 3 has a custom elements compiler output format, but it's very inflexible, I'd say. Because as soon as you say, okay, I want to output custom elements from writing Svelte components, you basically have a either-or situation. You have to opt into the compiler output and then everything is a custom element. You don't have the possibility to say, okay, this component should be compiled to a custom element, but all these other components I want to should remain as regular Svelte components. And with the improved custom element support, we were changing that because now custom element output is just a wrapper around the Svelte component and everything inside that wrapper is just regular Svelte components. So everything behaves as expected inside there, which is not the case currently. And that fixes a whole category of bugs we had. The PR with the most issues I closed at once ever was like 10 or 15 at once. Whoever uh, wants to try Svelte and have a custom element output will vastly benefit from this. Do you think that having custom element output in Svelte is going to be a big deal for people who aren't in the ecosystem yet that are evaluating it? To reframe the question, has that been a blocker to people trying to step into the ecosystem? So that definitely were people who said, oh, I really want to use Svelte because the authoring experience is so nice, but I can't use it because the coax around the custom element outputs is too large. So I'm going to switch to something else. So I think those people, which are previously have been blocked off, will now be able to use Svelte for that. Honestly, I'm not sure how many of those people it is, but I have this leave no one behind mentality. And so I have this personal desire to improve the custom element support there. So another thing that's coming out is style blocks supporting CSS in the, in the framework. So why is this a big deal? Do you mean the container queries support? Yes. Container queries, for those who don't know, allow you to style things differently based on the size of an element around you, not just based on the size of the whole browser window. And these have landed now, I think, in all major browsers. But the library we've used that like extracts and compiles the CSS didn't support CSS container queries yet. So like we had to work around that a bit to now finally add support for that so that everyone can use this newer feature. So in general, you're plugging and you're connecting like almost a maintenance release, it feels like. And a lot of other projects in the ecosystem are going through a similar, I don't want to call it a growing pain. It's just a growing up phase where it's like, we need to do this. It's tech debt. You're moving on the project. And there's some elements when we talk to other people on the podcast where there's some elements to an upgrade where it's okay. Some of this is necessity. We need to be in node 16. We need to be in node 18. And some of it is well, now that we can do Node 18, we can use Fetch or we can use whatever new APIs they have in there. The custom elements we talked about is definitely like an ad that you were working on, Simon, something novel that's coming into the framework. If we wanted to distill maybe these maintenance things, such as supporting the container CSS, and focus more on like features that you guys have derived from doing those pieces of maintenance work, what's like another 
additional piece of logic or operable piece of functionality that you've developed when doing this maintenance release that got roped into version four? Yeah, we have a, a bunch of very small changes, which like strictly are breaking. So we can only do them in the major release. One of them, for example, is that transitions. We have built-in transition support. So if an element like comes into the DOM or is removed from the DOM, you can play an intro or outro animation that is appearing or disappearing. And these transitions have been global by default in Svelte Free, which means that everything else is locked until this thing is going away, which has led to some confusing behavior like uh, you're changing the page and because somewhere deep in your page you have an out transition and then deep in your page that out transition blocks the whole page from changing and that's confusing and so we're changing it to local by default now which means that if somewhere deep in your page there's a transition but the whole page has changed anyway then that transition will no longer block the whole page transition so that's one thing then we have improved typings for example, when you're creating an event dispatcher, you can type which events your component dispatches. And this was a bit like you couldn't define that an event always had a payload or never had a payload. And we are improving the typings here so that you can define that. Another thing is that our each blocks historically can only iterate over array-like objects. So arrays or anything with a length property. And so you couldn't iterate over things like map or set and that we're changing too. So you can now iterate over them. Those seem like three really strong features and especially the second one that you mentioned. When you're developing these features, you're almost like building railroad and a platform for people to go build their apps on. I'm just going to go back to the custom elements thing. If you're developing the custom elements thing, are you thinking about like, I wonder what people are going to develop with my code here. Like, how are they going to use this and what are they going to manifest? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's fun to think about being somebody who sets the train tracks for somebody. I'd love to pick your brain a little bit and ask you about that. Before we do, I just want to take a second to remind our listeners that this podcast is brought to you by LogRocket. So whether you're developing it's felt or React or just throwing plain CSS and HTML on the page, if you want to debug issues and find those issues faster, Check out LogRocket because it'll help you improve your user experience with session replay, tracking the DOM, breaking it down, and delving into issues so you can spend more time developing a great app and less time debugging. So for people who are in that phase of development, if they're using your stuff, Simon, is there something that you've like maybe hoped people are going to use in Svelte 4 that maybe doesn't seem immediately obvious? Whether that be through custom elements, whether that be through like the container CSS selector that you and the team have been working on, is there like a sleeping giant of features that you feel like are about to be overemployed? For Svelte 4, I'm not so sure. For Svelte 5, I'm definitely sure that we will like awake the sleeping giant. As I said, Svelte 4 is mainly a clean the deck situation so we can start from a good code base, fresh to really get the actual things going that we want to go. So for example, for Svelte 5, we want to re-architect the compiler that transforms the Svelte code into JavaScript code under the hood. And it shows its age. Things have changed drastically in the landscape since back then. 
and like it's time to rethink how the compiler works, what it outputs under the hood. The moment Svelte 4 is out, uh, we will start brainstorming these things and to see how we can re-architect things and then also set us up for a future where we can then, based on the new architecture, uh, add new features that people need. Like, for example, we still don't have a good solution for error boundaries. And we definitely want to have that in Svelte. And so um, we will definitely think about how features like that come into play with that re-architected compiler. What's something that's not being included in 4 that due to the nature of the beast, right? This is a maintenance clean the deck release. You're pushing out till 5 and people are saying, whoa, no, 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 I want it right now. <laughs> is there anything in that type of basket that you're making a decision on? Basically, everything that requires a like requires more work on the compiler itself is more like a Svelte 5 thing because we want to rethink, as I said, the compiler, which probably means getting rid of many things inside the compiler. So it wouldn't be efficient to do it in Svelte 4, for example, because then we would spend all this time inside the current compiler architecture to achieve these things only to like completely rewrite it anyway. Right. So it's better like, Salt five will come sooner if we can like make Salt four like a smaller release, so to speak, and then go off to Salt five right away. Is Svelte five gonna be the compiler release? Is that gonna be the theme of Svelte five? <laughs> uh, right now, nothing is set in stone, but we definitely, as I said, want to rethink all these things. It may be Svelte five, maybe Svelte six. I don't know how long it will take. Maybe we want to have other breaking changes in between just to ease migration and to not have one big release, which is too breaking. Ideally, we don't break anything on the outside and everything is purely additive and people don't see it, but it's different under the hood and sets us up to do all these new features. Right. But I wouldn't put a label on it like Svelte 5 is the release that will contain everything I've just talked about, but it's uh, probable. When you're working on the compiler, I'd love to double click on that for a sec, because you said something in passing, which was it shows its age. You're somebody that's definitely worked on a lot of open source software. You've seen a lot of software. So what, in your opinion, makes something show its age? I know it's different for every domain and every piece of software and team that you're working on. But in this example, what's something that made you makes you say, this needs love again? <laughs> I'd say it's a mix of multiple things. For example, Svelte Free started out as a community-maintained project with people maintaining it in their free time. And so this means people do it in their evenings or like they pick two days of their vacation and then work on it for a whole day. But it's not like they are consistently putting in uh, a few hours a day. And so you have many different people who are like on and off working on it like there's no easy way to have it like there's no gardener so to speak who overlooks everything and says okay this needs a refactoring we have to do this and that just because there's no time to like look into these things but now that we are now free people are working full-time on svelte dominic anyway just joined us this week the end of may 
And so we are like now three people working full time on it. And this is like a vastly different situation because now we can like have things, vastly different processes, oversights compared to a purely community driven project. And because of that, we can implement different processes, look out more for things like refactoring and so on. And so if I look into Svelte, for example, it's really often that we do a pull request and then we see things on the side and then we say, oh, okay, this could also use a refactor. And then like we do it as part of the PR or in a separate follow-up PR. And so things always stay in shape. And we just didn't have the time to do these things that often for Svelte yet, but that's about to change. And so because the tech debt has accumulated for the compiler, I think it's probably the easiest to start a bit fresh, don't reuse too much. Also because we want to change how the compiler output looks like, so we will likely not be able to reuse much anyway. This is a perfect situation to Uh, overthink how the new compiler output looks like, start fresh, and this time with the right processes and capacities to have it like lasting more than three years. It sounds like there's also a uh, team change going on. Like you said, like you're adding a new member. There's almost like this gardener role sort of emerging where you have people working full time on it. Do you think this is really going to change the way Svelte is developed over the next year or two, having now three members working full-time? I think it will definitely improve things for the better. I'm not too sure how it changes the way we develop. Like it's more people for us who work on it every day. And that's always a plus, but it's not like we're throwing out every processes that worked for us previously. It's like iterative. And so we will definitely change some processes and stuff like that in the time but what exactly that that will show itself in a few months you've been contributing to open source now you're in a hybrid role right and then you've also worked at companies what is your opinion about the open source community and the optimal for how you can maybe see a team work is a hybrid role like you're in right now where you have full-time and open source individuals contributing is this like a best scenario Or do you really see like maximum efficiency and productivity in a typical corporate environment? That's a very good question. I think that a mix of both is probably the best for a open source project so that you have a core team who works on it full time, which means there's the capacity to have an oversight over everything that's happening within the open source project. And then you have Many people who are working on it, whenever they feel like, have these different areas they want to focus on, and so that the core team can set them up for success, uh, identify which people want to work on which parts, and coordinate these things. In a sense, these core team people then are not just like developers, they are also managers in some way, because you have to see where people come and go how much time do they want to contribute? I think that's like almost like a manager role too. And so I think, again, a mix of a few core team members and then many people contributing in their free time or part-time or whatever is probably the best mix. 
It's like you get the passion project doers and then you still have your gardener. I, I love this term that you brought up, like the gardener. It's somebody to make sure everything is growing in order. Right. Do you see yourself as an employee of Vercel or as an employee as felt sponsored by Vercel? <laughs> That's interesting. I see myself as an employee of Vercel, definitely, but like a employee who has the total freedom to work on salt. So I know that there's been like some fear in the community, like, oh, is Vassell like taking over Svelte or something like that? Right. And I can see on the inside definitely 100% that this is not the case. Like we have a lot of freedom and it's almost a net benefit to me because on one side I'm working full-time on Svelte, but I'm closely connected to a hosting provider, which if you're creating a website, you have to host it somewhere. And so seeing the needs of a hosting provider, what the hosting provider needs from a framework and having these insights from the inside is very valuable. And I think it goes both ways because Vassell can also say, hey, we have these new APIs and do they make sense for frameworks like Next.js or Svelte? And so we can try them out early and provide feedback. For example, there's the really great build output API, which uh, allows you to encode, describe what the thing you deploy has as, as capabilities. Does it use image optimization? Which serverless functions does it use? Or does it use edge functions, etc.? And these things are like not configurable through some dashboard, but through code. And this is the build output API and Rich was able to give feedback on that before it went public and like help shape it into what it is today. And I think that is very valuable for Vassell as well, get this feedback. Do you feel like SvelteKit is the manifestation of Svelte for Vercel? Because that's like for the average developer, they can take this kit and easily deploy to Vercel. They can easily get their website running. Do you feel like Vercel is in any way invested more or less between Svelte Kit and the underlying Svelte technology? Or are they just saying like truly like freedom, like you guys just make it work, make it great? They just say make it work, make it great. And of course, make it work on Vercel, which is a fair ask. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's a new feature, we should make sure it works on Vercel, but we also want to make sure it works anywhere else. So we consciously designed SvelteKit in a way that you can like easily deploy to any hosting platform. So we have this concept of adapters where you just basically switch out adapter Vercel for, I don't know, adapter node, and then you can just deploy to your own node server and then it runs there the same. And so this kind of interoperability through adapters is really important to us. That way it works flawlessly on Vassell, but it also works flawlessly on, on many other deployment targets. For me, SvelteKit is like this Swiss army knife because it's so versatile. With Svelte itself, you have the stellar development experience. You can author components, but you don't have things around it like a router or how do I bundle everything so it, that it's deployable on a certain uh, deployment platform like a cell, for example? All the stuff around it is missing, and SvelteKit is providing like the, all these missing pieces for it. And it's so versatile because with SvelteKit, you can create your own blog with it, like purely static pages. You can pre-render everything. You can create 
I don't know, your e-commerce site with server-side rendering, and then the client takes over and you get these snappy client-side routing from the second navigation onwards. Or you could use it for your internal business app where like server-side rendering, search engine optimization is like not a concern at all. So you just only use the SPA parts of SvelteKit. And it's able to work with all these different rendering modes. And you can even mix and match them within the same project. So you could like pre-render your landing page, server-side render your shop, and then do an SPA of your admin page all within the same project, all with SvelteKit. We talked about Svelte 4 as like a maintenance release, you know, sweeping the floor. Is there anything coming to SvelteKit to the Swiss Army Knife right now that you think is very exciting before we talk about it in the context of Svelte 5 in the future? I think that some exciting things we're currently trying out, like the API is not shaped out yet, but Rich has tried it out yet, tried it out already on a example project, is one thing that we add a new navigation hook, which would allow you to very easily make use of the new page transition API that's coming to browsers, which would make that very easy to use. So this is nice. And the other thing is that we want to look into shallow routing or the Instagram case. You click on a photo and it like pops up a modal with the comments to the side, and but the URL has changed, but the original things are still in the background. So you can close the modal and you're back to where you were before uh, immediately. So you never lose context. But if you reload the page, then you're like on the full page version of that site. Mm -hmm. And so you like have these two versions of the same page and that's achievable with shallow routing. And I think Next.js has done a really nice job implementing such a feature through their intercepted routes and parallel routes. And we want to look into how something like this can look like in SvelteKit. Simon, thank you for taking the time to come on today to talk about Svelte 4. I know maybe it's not the most exciting shiny features, but there's a lot of grind and grease going into truing up the framework and making it ready uh, for everybody's projects coming in the future. And like you've been touting this whole time, Svelte 5, there's going to be a lot coming out in Svelte 5. Yeah, Svelte 5 will be the real deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about then for sure. And if people want to just read more about specifically Svelte 4, they can go to the release notes right on... They can't go to the release notes when they're out, but we will definitely also put out a blog post about that's for sure. And if people want to keep up to date for Svelte 5 and what's happening besides poking up at the repo, do you folks have any documentation or materials out of what you're thinking about for Svelte 5? We don't have yet, but we definitely want to make this in the open. So once we've brainstormed and have some ideas, we want to present them to the community. What we did with SvelteKid, I think, worked really well. We opened the discussions feature on, on GitHub, and then we presented our RFCs there and then listened to feedback from the community, adjusted the features as needed, as we thought would be right, and then go on to implementing that. So expect RFCs about these new things. Awesome. Simon, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine.